0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leads
1: Aren't Weak. Marketing is all about trends. What's hot and what's not? What's trendy and what's a thing of the past? After all, the name of this show is Marketing Trends. And to be the best in the field, you have to grasp what is sticky. But while marketers attempt to chase the hottest new thing, their jargon is often filled with simple buzzwords. Daniel Incandela is the CMO of Terminus, a company built on the backbone of ABM. And he had to learn firsthand that not everything, including the term ABM, is just a turn of phrase, and that there is real merit to some buzzy ideas.
2: At first, I had a certain level of disdain for ABM. I thought it was another buzzword coming through. And what I've learned over the years, and certainly now is a lot of people associate account-based marketing with just targeted ads. And that is certainly a component of it, but if the expectation is that is ABM, then you're never gonna see the full value of it.
1: On this episode of Marketing Trends, Daniel details new strategies for how ABM marketers can stick out from their peers and move past the bias that might exist around account-based marketing. Plus, he digs into why storytelling is the backbone of any successful campaign. And he updates us on his new role with Terminus and how he approached his first 90 days. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
0: Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by a special guest. Daniel, how are you?
2: I'm doing well, Ian. It's good to be back here. I think this is at least my my second time yeah. chatting with you. It could be more, but um, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: I know. It feels like more. Um, I know. Great to have you back on the show. And you have not just, but... Recently, changed roles. You're now the CMO at Terminus. Uh, so, tell us what uh, what's going on at Terminus. This is something we've talked about on the show before. Obviously, you know we 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 talk a lot about all sorts of uh, of cool tools and things on here. Um, about you know, I, I love the Terminus framework, the team framework. I talk about it a bunch. So uh, excited you're at Terminus. Excited to hear what's going on.
2: Yeah. So I am seven weeks into a new role as CMO at Terminus. And so I'm still very new, been here long enough to to be somewhat dangerous, but also still learning. And I don't know everything. But it is really great to be at a at a marketing technology company. We sell primarily to to marketers and and sales teams. So as a marketer, that is a really incredible opportunity and an incredible challenge because marketers are are tough critics, but but overall, it's uh, it's a playground being here as a CMO, especially working for a CEO that is a former CMO, which is pretty rare. So it's uh, it's a really unique opportunity, and I'm I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Yeah, so uh, you know we we love that question. The the first ninety days as a CMO, um, you know you uh, you're living it. How do you approach the first ninety days of going into be CMO terminus?
2: Yeah, first 90 days are critical. Um, I, I have found that marketing teams in general within companies come under a lot of scrutiny, often justified. We have to really focus on how we're driving value and ROI for a company. Uh, so I view the first 90 days as, as a really big job test to come in, make an impact across the organization to establish credibility, build trust for the full marketing team, and also make some big swings. And the timing of this couldn't have been better for me because our fiscal year starts in February uh, coming up. Uh, We have our big company kickoff. So really within the first 90 days, I'll be leading towards that in which I get to be a part of some some big announcements, some big shifts in how we're approaching our go-to-market strategy. And so it's kind of been a really good deadline for for me to, to keep me focused on what's most important. Marketing gets a lot of requests, we're, we're at the center of almost everything that happens within a company. So it's been a, also a good reminder for me to, to focus on what's most important for the company, not necessarily say yes to everything.
0: So for for our listeners who aren't familiar, can you share a little bit more about Terminus?
2: I can. So I um, was founded out of Atlanta, and we now have uh, multiple offices, including a big, big amount of employees here in Indianapolis, which is where I'm based. Atlanta happens to be one of my favorite cities, also Atlanta Braves fan. So I appreciate that connection. There you go. But Terminus really gives marketing and sales teams the data they need to understand where they should focus their efforts. How do I identify the key or the ideal customer to align the go to market teams to go after what's most important? And what I've noticed, especially in the past year, especially with COVID and how that has affected pipeline generation especially around events or in-person experiences is that that alignment between marketing and sales and customer success and the partner team is now more critical than ever and what i love about the terminus story is that it has great technology that's going to allow you to target the right type of prospect and customer for your company based on the type of customer you need or the vertical that you're focused on it has great technology that's going to support you there but a real forcing function of, of what our platform offers is that it helps, helps these teams work together in a much better way. And I've been at companies where the, the relationship between marketing sales and other go-to-market areas is really strong. And I've been in companies where it could be a lot better. And while we're still dealing with COVID and whatever happens next with the economy, I know one thing's for sure is that I need to be very closely aligned to the CRO And ensure that everything marketing is doing um, is in in lockstep with what sales is doing, because otherwise we're wasting resources, budget, and opportunity that'll pass us very quickly.
0: So you uh, you talked about when you joined that you'd been kind of following along uh, Terminus for years. Obviously, you're you know you're super excited to to be on the team, but you know this this kind of opportunity for marketers, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways it's. It's the most challenging kind of we've ever had it just because there's so many opportunities and different channels and, you know, things we can be testing. The, the playground for experiments is, is ever growing. You know, for B2B, there are some benefits to that is like, you know, with Martech and, and things like that, we, we actually have a you know, better opportunity to, to see the ground truth, to see what's actually happening now. What's kind of like, you know, forward looking for, for Terminus, where, where are we headed?
2: I think where we're headed is there's going to be more scrutiny on go-to-market teams in general. And if you look at the cost, cost center of most software companies, you know, the biggest line item is going to be that sales and marketing area. And you know, I, I don't like to make big generalizations, but I also believe that there are often cases where marketing and sales are not as aligned as they should be. If that's the case, then that is a missed opportunity, and the, those teams are certainly not generating ROI. I think where we're headed is that these go to market teams, and when I say that, I am talking about marketing and sales, but also customer success, especially around cross sell or upsell opportunities, but certainly around customer retention and also the partner ecosystem, is primed and ready for a reset. And I think where you're going to see Terminus head as a company, not just in terms of our philosophy, but also the product roadmap is building out software and tools that allows these go-to-market teams to work better together in a more targeted way and faster so that we are allowing these teams to focus on what is most important in the moment because certainly on the marketing side, there's no end of requests or things that we could be working on. But if COVID has taught us anything, it's that we have a finite number of resources and budget. And if anything, the budget is going to get closer scrutiny at the board level. And if we're not focusing on the right things, then the board has every right to find people that will. And so the stakes are higher for these teams. um, And I think Terminus is going to end up being a great partner to to all of go to market, to allow them to move faster, but also in a much smarter way.
0: How did you view ABM when you were when you were on the other side um, before this what was what were some of the things that, that you thought as, as you saw ABM kind of change over the years?
2: At first, I had a, a certain level of disdain for ABM. I thought it was another buzzword coming through. And what I've learned over the years, and and certainly now as I'm in a different chair, is that I think a lot of people associate account-based marketing with just targeted ads, and that is certainly a component of it. That if the expectation is that is ABM, then you're never going to see the full value of it. Really, ABM is about understanding all aspects of your pipeline. And if you think about it, lead isn't even pipeline. Like It has to mature into something that is of value. And really, ABM is about understanding the value of pipeline and navigating that pipeline as it moves through a traditional funnel, goes from marketing to sales or other teams, and becomes new business and for me abm is the the philosophy the strategy and the different technologies that help you understand how that progresses and that's a much bigger thing than just thinking of it as a targeted ad
0: yeah i think i think the the critiques that we often hear about abm are like hey this is just what we've always been doing and i think that's a pretty fair critique the problem is like it's not what everyone has been doing like you hear that from from some cmo's that you know, have been really successful. Uh, they're like, yeah, we've been doing this for, forever. It's like, yeah, no kidding. Because <laughs> you're successful. Like, yeah. <laughs> of course you were. Like the, you know, the new framework that, you know, helps you, you know, go to market better um, that you use that, that's working. Like not everyone is, is kind of using it. What, what inning are we in for ABM?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Definitely not the first. Certainly not top of the ninth. I don't know, sixth or seventh one of the reasons I'm excited to be at terminus is in many ways they they have pioneered abm they were there at you know in the first inning they've helped build not just the brand equity but the innovation that goes behind it and i'm excited to be here because i think we're going to see it through to, to something that's going to be much much bigger so i think we're getting
0: close to the ninth yeah so so then what's the next what's the next game so to speak what's the next series because i think a lot of people You know, once they get sales on board, once they kind of realign their teams to understand this, and they have this kind of framework down cold, then it seems like kind of almost like crawl, walk, run sort of a thing where, you know, once everybody is kind of like, you know, established that some type of framework around ABM, that it's like, then you can start to be exponentially more creative. You can start running you know, bigger and better campaigns, you can run deeper campaigns that are more engaging, things like that. Like, well, what does that next kind of evolution look like? Because it seems to me like a lot of people are just trying to get the basics down, like Mm -hmm. literally get sales and marketing on the same page to try to figure out, uh, you know, are we using the same words? (laughs) Are we using the same metrics? Do we think about things the same way? And so kind of hard to hard to run when you're not on the same page there.
2: If you look at the companies that are doing good ABM, you can view it as really just exceptional marketing. And that's where everything is talking to each other. And when I say that is, I remember in in my first CMO role, I wanted to understand the touch points of how someone became a customer. And I remember reviewing it, it was something like 12 different touch points with marketing or sales from lead to, to becoming a customer. And it kind of blew me away because it wasn't just, you know, it's a, a lead that comes through the website and then a salesperson talks to them and that's it. It's, it's a lead that comes in through a website and then maybe it's a webinar experience or they've reviewed content or they've been to an event and, and so on and so on. And a lot of marketing companies, a lot of marketing teams today are approaching those types of things in silos. And, and really what ABM is stressing is really good storytelling. The thread that ties all of these things together is critical now. Our customers are intelligent. They're human beings. They want to experience something authentic that is not overly B2B'd or or marketed. They they want to understand the the reality. And so, for one, that just allows marketers to focus on storytelling, which is what I think we should be doing, and really thinking about that customer experience as they interact with the company. Now, we also have to consider how does data play a role in that? And and obviously, when you're thinking about which accounts to target, it's about your ideal customer profile, it's other data that's available in order for you to understand industries or propensity to buy, that all has to play together. But ultimately, none of that is going to work if you have a dysfunctional relationship with the sales team or customer success or whoever. It has to be done hand in hand. And so when I think about marketing today, it's really not about marketing anymore. It's got to be about the go-to-market strategy. And if you're not doing that in complete concert with the CRO or the head of customer success, even to the point of ensuring that you have the support of the CFO and CEO, then you don't stand a chance, especially today when things are even more competitive and there's more pressure on marketers. So that's what we should be doing. A lot of us are not doing that. I know as a CMO, I could be doing much better in all of those areas. But that is the difference between good marketing and exceptional marketing. And that's where we need to head. And that's what everyone at Terminus is trying to build, is that experience that I just described.
0: Yeah. So to dive into that a little bit more, what are some examples that you've seen of people doing that really well? Because I think that that's one of the things that, you know, when when you're looking at a framework, sometimes it's hard to like you know needle in on a few of the the really good you know ways ways to do it great i kind of i have a pet peeve
2: when it comes to b2b marketing and that it can be repetitive yep and uninspiring at times yep and sometimes if you remove a logo from a website you don't know the difference between companies in the same industry or or maybe across b2b saas so i will often look at b2b companies that i admire just to borrow ideas from. But when it comes down to it, B2B marketing in many cases is, is pretty formulaic. I think what's happening behind the scenes and, and how the, the sales and marketing teams are, are rallying around accounts and, and releasing data in a meaningful way is interesting. But that's not as obvious looking, looking from the outside. I challenge my team all the time. And I'm fortunate to work with a really creative group here at Terminus and that how do we borrow marketing from other areas? Certainly B2C. There are a number of brands that I just really admire for, for their approach to storytelling and risk-taking and things they're doing to create more authentic and, and bonding experiences. And so what we're going to try, t- try to do as a Terminus marketing team is bringing more of the B2C experience to give us more of a personality, to give the brand more life, to build a better connection. Because there are humans behind it, and we are selling to humans, but I I don't want us to be like other B two B brands, especially on the marketing side. It's it's a pet peeve of mine.
0: Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. I mean, I think there's so much of you know websites looking similar, you know, copy looking similar, terminology looking similar. Well, and then you have like the whole, you know, you want <laughs> you want to look similar enough in certain ways because you want the uh, you know all of the the folks that at Forrester and, and everybody, all the analysts to make sure that you're moving towards the same thing, but also you want to stand out. It's definitely, it's a, it's a fine line, I suppose. It is a fine line. Absolutely. Hmm. Then do you think, so for, for some of the things that, that people do to stand out, like one of the things that you hear that like always works is like the, you know, get everybody on a, on a team, uh, matching patagonias stuff like that like those mm-hmm. super tactical things that that work i was just thinking about i know that i've talked about this on the show before about how people kind of like bag on the the um the patagonia as like this like you know tech uniform or whatever i'm like yeah. gosh they're just they're literally just the best best jackets ever <laughs> uh and I and um i was just i was just wearing one earlier today but anywho um that's the secret to the successful campaign is you give something that's such a high quality product that people love it. But just things like that, like what, like what is the evolution of these type of campaigns? Because it just seems like if you're focusing on engagement as a primary driver, um, which so often I feel like we don't, right? Like we're not talking about like really deep level engagement. And in B2B, that feels like we should be, right? Like the, the deeper the engagement, the better that that's the hard part to figure out. You know, the the Ian team, right? It's like that's the part where if you can do that better than anyone else, um, you're gonna win the most business.
2: Well, I think you bring up Patagonia and look, I'm sure North Face makes an item that is just as comfortable and durable and all of that as <sighs> Patagonia.
0: Ooh, I don't know. I think it's stepped step down. But did I just upset you, Ian? No, I'm Sorry. not even about that. I'm not even that big of a you know, I'm not like a snob or anything like that. I just, you know, I've found over the years that's just I've t- I feel like I've tried every sort of like midweight coat and uh, just great. Anyways, but it is similar, sure.
2: Patagonia itself, if you think about the brand and the company, has built something really special. Yeah, and it, it goes beyond just the quality of what they're selling. It's um, their social causes. It's the way they treat their employees. It's the way they have approached environmental causes. And so for me, that looking from the outside in, that to me is really important. So I have a natural connection to them so that if I were to make a purchase, I would probably go to them first. And I think marketers have a such a unique opportunity to do more than what's on their job description. And so I often have said this in meetings, you know, marketing's purpose is to, drive the pipeline needed for sales to hit their targets. We have to build a brand that opens doors for the company. And then we have to contribute to the culture of the company. You know, And that is my mantra every day when, when I am focused on, on being a CMO. And marketers out there can play a much bigger role than just what they're doing with a campaign or to drive new pipeline. We can help shape the company that we work for And I mentioned at the beginning, you know, I have the opportunity of reporting to the CEO, Tim Kopp, who is a former CMO. And so that's pretty cool. It's rare. He understands what my day-to-day is like, the the fun parts, challenging parts, everything in between. And when he talks about what Terminus can be, it's certainly from the perspective of, you know how do we show value to our shareholders and investors? And how do we hit numbers? Like That's obviously important, but it's also about what can this company do for for our employees? How can we give them the best experience of a lifetime professionally while they're here? How do we shape the culture? How do we introduce a new working environment knowing that COVID has changed things forever? There are some people that are dying to come back into the office. There are some people that never want to come back into an office. And so, how do we lead in ways that we are not only driving value in the traditional sense, but creating a really special company so that we are invested in employees that are all going through something different? Some are flourishing right now because of COVID. Some are really struggling mentally because of COVID. And that to me is such a special opportunity. And it's not like that becomes a marketing campaign that we tell to everyone, but it becomes part of the, the values within a company in which we operate. And we may not shout that from the mountaintops, but it's something that comes across in how we interact with our partners and prospects and customers. And that to me is pretty special. And for me, marketers have to, have to play a role in that with, with people teams and at the executive level because that's what we do. And so it's such an exciting time to be a marketer because the number of challenges out there are, are immense. It's, I think it's why we sign up for this. But the impact is can be even bigger than than ever before.
0: Any ABM campaigns that uh, that particularly tickled your interest uh, over the years, as as someone on the receiving end?
2: Oh, uh, I may be the worst person to ask this because I never, I, I don't think I can answer this. Em, because I never take calls. I never talk to vendors. Um, <laughs> I just dis, I dismiss them very quickly. I'm I'm the worst human being when it comes to that.
0: No, that's good. It's, hey, that's, uh, I think that, I think if you, if you, if you pulled, uh, you know, you're a perfect segment, right? <laughs> um, if you think about it, uh, you're the, uh, you're the, you know, the, the do respond segment. That's, hey, that's, we need to learn how to market to those people too. So then, I mean, not, not to, not to dive too into this, but like, uh, then how do you, how do you vet? You know, vendors and software? Do you just have someone on your team that manages that?
2: When we're talking about the marketing technology stack, it is it is such a critical thing for, for marketers. And you know, my philosophy on this is that that is our product. Between the tech stack and, and the company website, we have to treat that like a product. So I, I have strong opinions on what that should look like. But ultimately, as a CMO, I'm not managing the day-to-day or necessarily in those tools at all. So I'd rather give the responsibility to the team that is and trust them to make the right decision, knowing that we have to hit certain goals. And it's very much my management style of, one, surrounding myself with people much smarter, but giving them the authority to make decisions with things like tech stack or budget or resources to be able to do their jobs well. I have found... Earlier in my career and even today that when I am given that type of environment, I have flourished. So I want everyone on my team to feel empowered, be able to operate in that way as well.
0: Yeah, that's a great, that's a great way of looking at it. You know, but as a, as a CMO, I'm curious, like, are you brought into decisions like broader technology conversations or, uh, or vendor conversations from a, you know, other parts of the C-suite? Cause I feel like, you know, one of the things that's so interesting now is like, you know, the whole C-suite has, you know, if you're switching to Zoom or to, you know, Slack or, you know, what, whatever it is, um, I feel like this the CMO kind of has to have a vote on all these things now. It's like a lot of this stuff directly impacts, you know, go-to-market. You know, it impacts sales teams, it impacts customer success, it impacts like a lot of that stuff. Like it's not just your MarTech stack now, it's your whole stack.
2: Yeah, I, I can't say that I... um I have been formally brought in to make those decisions. I've certainly shared my point of view. But again, when it comes to business systems, I'm going to trust the person that that is running business systems. On the more marketing technology focused things, I, you know, as I mentioned, fully trust the team to do that. You know, if I've had a positive or negative experience with one of the vendors historically, then I will certainly speak up, but I mostly am involved when it comes to the negotiation. I've reached that, that age in my life where I enjoy a good haggle. So I, that's it's usually when I get involved is <laughs> when it comes to contract time, that part is fun to me.
0: A good haggle. I love it. So, you know, you, you talked about how your CEO was a CMO and you've written about kind of like the modern day CMO before and how this kind of all, you know, looks very similar. For B2B companies specifically, you don't see a lot of CMO turned CEO, but like, what do you think are the things that CMOs should be doing to position themselves to be more in that, in that spot? You mean the, the uh, potential transition
2: into the CEO?
0: Yeah. Cause you, you kind of have talked about how, like how great it is to have a, a CEO who's been a CMO, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm certainly biased there as the CMO. One thing we take for granted or sometimes use an opportunity or potentially a kind of a complaint is marketing is by definition a service center for a company. And so we may do a lot of our own initiatives, campaigns that drive brand awareness or pipeline. And that's mostly what we talk about, but we also get requests from HR to support them with certain things. We'll get requests from, from other teams for, for swag or messaging help or event ideas. You know, that, that never goes away. I've heard marketers complain about that. I've heard marketers say that's their favorite part. The thing as a CMO is you have to, it's your responsibility to, to embrace that because we are a service center. So I have chosen to, to embrace that part and as a result, build the necessary relationships across the company. And so I think the CMO has a really unique view in that if they want, they get a view into every single team across the company and how they operate at a global level, sometimes across verticals and industries, but certainly across the type of people and the different functions that are happening. That is really unique because not everyone gets that view. And you get to see it in so many different ways because the requests coming into marketing are always so varied. So I would say to the marketers listening to this, you should embrace that because one, it's going to help you grow. It's going to give you great variety of work, which is what's going to keep you engaged. But if you do have bigger leadership goals, then you're going to need to understand all areas of the company in order to be a good leader. And that's something that has really hit me. Certainly, in my last two roles as CMO is that it also requires you to build much stronger relationships across the C-suite. And I realized that if I was not investing in that, I couldn't be the best possible leader to my team, and the results would would falter. So, I was really really lucky in my last role at Conga to have a good relationship with the the CRO, but also the CFO, the head of product, the COO, and it got me insights into things that you know traditionally I would not have seen, and that's certainly what I've brought into Terminus and. Even when I was interviewing for the role at Terminus, it was critical to me that, one, I got along with the CRO, that's a given, but I wanted to make sure that I'd have a good relationship with the board, the CFO, and the other C-suite. And for me, that they were all great human beings, and that was a big selling point.
0: Yeah. And it speaks to to the, you know, just kind of the way that, um, you know, modern... Revenue teams need to be aligned, right? It's like you know whether, and obviously that's why you have platforms like Terminus where you can be aligned on those things. But to just make sure that everybody you know believes the same thing and has the same kind of vision going forward, and like you know, we've all we've all been part of those teams where it's like you have you know the CMO going one way and somebody else going the other way, and um, you know your demand gen person going a totally different different way, and we we know that doesn't work. So. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, is a part of this is conversational marketing. Obviously, you know, a hugely important thing that's that's been coming out, having conversations faster with salespeople. What do you think about uh, conversational and, uh, and having real-time conversations on websites? Yeah, I think, you know, I am getting older, so
2: technology is going to pass me by very quickly. But if you look <laughs> at the trends and what's happening... On social media, but things like live chat and um, the way people are even selling today, it is changing quickly. So, conversational, I think, is is definitely the way it's headed. Certainly, talking to people in the way they want to be talked to on the platform is definitely the way to go. And if COVID has taught us anything, is that um, you can't rely on someone always having an office desk phone, right? So. As a salesperson or as a marketer, you've got to figure out how to connect with your prospects or customer in the ways in which they want to talk. And that could be text. It could be through live chat, which is something Terminus offers. It could be through email. It could be whatever's next. I have no idea, but we've got to evolve with the times. And COVID has been such an interesting wake-up call for marketers in that respect, because it's, we've had to figure out so many different things from, from messaging a different use of technology and and not relying on vents anymore. And so if anything, we've got to be ready for anything
0: and the unexpected. How many people do you think still have a desk phone? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess I haven't really pulled, but I bet if I bet if we pulled our guests for marketing trends over the past year, I mean, well, especially over the past year, but um, even before that, I mean, what do you think?
2: You know, I would For marketers, I would bet it's incredibly low. Salespeople might be totally different. But, you know, I just onboarded at Terminus. I haven't met most of the company and I certainly don't have a desk phone. I I don't even have a desk at this point. Everything for me has been at home. But I will say in previous roles, pre-pandemic, I had a desk phone that I never used. You know, everything for me was on video conferencing or cell phone or text or, or Slack or whatever. So that is definitely where we're headed. And that's why we need to be ready to communicate in ways that um, I don't think we've got quite figured out yet.
0: Yeah. You mentioned events, you know, not too long ago, you, you, you ran a digital event. What do you think is, is coming up in 2021 for events?
2: You know, it's been interesting to watch a, a lot of the, the virtual event companies have, have flourished, which is not surprising. And the platforms are evolving. So I'm interested to see how they continue to evolve, especially how they try and capture more of the human experiences of networking and meeting people and and, and that, more of the sensory stuff. I don't know how how virtual events are going to figure that out, but they've come a long way. You know, at some point we as marketers are going to have to make the call of of when we start transitioning to it, it's going to be a hybrid, I think, of virtual and in person and maybe it's smaller field marketing events at first. Uh, but one of the things we are planning right now for our upcoming fiscal year is some sort of user conference for Terminus. And right now, I'm going to have to think about it as as either a virtual or in-person event, and I'm not sure which way to go yet. I think if I had to bet, it's most likely virtual, but but who knows with, with the vaccine coming and all of that, what, what kind of demand there'll be and, and comfort level.
0: Yeah. If it is, Virtual still. You worried about fatigue? Certainly, fatigue.
2: I've been fortunate to work with really good events teams that, you know, in some ways check all the boxes for what a B2B event should be like, but has a really strong experiential component to it. The way an event can make you feel, the way it can make you feel valued as a customer, the different creative ideas that we Deliver over a course of a few days, the food, the wine or beer, and so on, the, the live music, that's what can't be replicated right now virtually. And so part of it can be fatigue, but also just we're not meeting expectations of people that want a good event experience. And so I'm not sure virtual will ever do that.
0: Yeah, me too. I feel the same way. I don't think it will either. And I think it's just a totally different thing. And it's just got to be super curated and it's got to be, you know, the breakout rooms have to be super well done. You know, it's, I mean, it's is a totally different thing, but yeah. I'm planning a, a baby shower right now. And, uh, even the way the baby showers are done is now way more confusing. Right. Cause I'm like, you know, we're talking about like, well, how many people is the max amount of people you want on a zoom call for a baby shower? You know what I mean? And it's like, man, if, if, if freaking baby showers are tough to plan, yeah, um, You know, (laughs) doing breakout rooms for technology companies is, is, uh, you know, it's quite a step farther than that.
2: Is this your baby shower?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Congratulations.
0: Thanks. Yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's fun. I got no complaints. It's, uh, it's all good stuff, but you know. Yeah. I hear you though. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'll just, just air it as a podcast episode and then we'll be good. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's tough. I mean, I think it's tough. I mean, you know, obviously we, you know, as a company who makes podcasts, I mean, I think part of, part of the stuff that, you know, we see a lot of is is like you have the utility of like, you know, on demand there when you want it, consume it whenever you want it is like massively important now. And I think the total opposite of that is exactly what in-person events are,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Like bespoke Only there for a fleeting moment of time in person so you have an experience, you know, not one to many, like one to few, getting feedback on your actual business, answering your actual problems in real time type stuff. And I think the people who figure that stuff out the absolute best are going to win, Especially, especially if you're B2B, if you have big accounts, if you're doing stuff like that. I mean, it's like you just got to, if you're not a volume company, then you got to figure out some really, really creative stuff.
2: Yeah. And I, I've been thinking about that a lot because pre pandemic, I was traveling almost weekly and I've not done a business trip now since March 13th of last year. Yeah. Me neither. I've loved being at home, having more time with my family. You know, there are elements of it I miss, but when we do return to normal, I'm gonna be much more selective on what I do that's gonna get me to leave this house and leave my family. And so if we're talking about events, like we're gonna to have to step up. There's some people that are just dying to get out and go to events, but we're also gonna to have to rethink how how we're delivering really meaningful experiences to people to get them to invest in, in, in our brand experience and and what we wanna to communicate to them. And I'm looking forward to that because events, you know, events can be incredible experiences, but we're we're gonna have to rewrite that that blueprint.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I almost feel like what it's gonna be is a bunch of people on the text message thread, saying, or on your private Slack group, or you know, whatever gr- GroupMe or whatever WhatsApp, being like, "Hey, are we all going to blank this year?" Because like, let's all go get the band together. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's gonna be a thing. And like, I wonder what those things are like, you know, if, is that like South by, is that like, you know, like, I mean, I think that, you know, people based off of your life situation is going to depend a lot on, you know, those sort of things. And in a way that, you know, back in the day it might not have, you know, maybe if you have a, I don't know, you know, whatever, some life situation that, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to travel a bunch, but you know, then it's like, Hey, I want to go see my, my friends, my you know, the, uh, the people that I've got to know over the years, my peer group in person, and that's a great place to do it. And like, Hey, if we're all talking at an event or speaking at an event, like let's really curate some stuff around, like, you know, get the, kick the vendor out of the room and just let a bunch of people hang out yeah. and do some cool stuff. And, and I feel like a lot of that stuff was pretty forced over the years. And like, maybe, and I'm sure people will probably do maybe even more intentional stuff. But I'm looking forward to kind of those like, you know, the unintentional like, hey, you know, whatever. Terminus is going to just put a bunch of awesome people in a room together and like, you know, take a step back or something. I don't know, but not to put, I, you know, words in your mouth. But but I just I think that that stuff is exciting. Um, to to like get people back together.
2: Yeah, and and for me it validates something about marketing. I I believe strongly, and that is the companies that view marketing specifically as demand gen, I don't think they are going to do well in this next version of, of, of life and, and this world. It's going to be the companies that view marketing, not only as demand gen, but as, as brand storytellers, as creative, as viewing marketing as a mixture of art and science, because tell you what, I'm not getting on a plane to go to some lane B2B event. It's going to have to really pique my interest and in, in provide something exceptional and Companies that do not invest in marketing in the right way are going to really, really suffer. And so I hope it's, hope it's a wake-up call for everyone in this industry to understand that marketing can do so much more for a company than just generate leads. What are leads? Leads aren't even pipeline. Anyone can buy leads.
0: I love it. Well said. My soapbox. <laughs> okay, let's get into our lightning round. As you know, because you're a recurring guest on the show, these questions are fast and easy Just like marketing with Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM that is Salesforce. Check them out. We love Salesforce. They've been with us 250 plus episodes at this point. Gosh. And who can blame them with guests like you, Daniel? Um, Lightning round questions. Are you ready? Can I say something about Salesforce really quickly? Yeah, of course. Fire away.
2: I'm ex-Salesforce and um, I've been a company that have partnered with them. My wife and I had a son this past summer. Congrats! Uh, named Ethan, born in a pandemic. Thank you. And Salesforce sent us some wonderful onesies for him. So I have a soft spot in my heart for Salesforce.
0: That's adorable. Uh, I remember back in the day, we had uh, Stephanie's baby Grayson has has the Trailblazer hoodie because <laughs> <laughs> we we had all the Trailblazer hoodies. And we're like Grayson needs one, and uh, oh, that was awesome. Yeah, pretty great. Shout out to Grayson's uh, toddler trailblazer hoodie. (laughs) Okay, since I've already asked you a bunch of these, we're going to mix it up this time. All right, I'm ready. What is the best thing to do if you're in Indianapolis for one day?
2: I would make a visit to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, home of the Indy 500, and do a lap around the track. Oh, that's fine. I didn't know you can do that. Well, you can't drive, but you can get on a bus and get a tour around it. Still pretty cool.
0: Yeah, well, still. That's sweet. Do you have a, a show or a podcast or, or book that you've been uh, you've been ripping through recently?
2: Um, I just started Chernobyl on HBO. It's kind of an older <laughs> show. I know that. But I just got started and I am blown away by its storytelling. It's not the most uplifting topic, but important part of history. And I, I just can't wait to watch it again and stay up too late again.
0: It's stunning. I think I got through four episodes and I was like, I can't even do the last couple. <laughs> I'm like, this is... <laughs> this is a lot. It's an incredible, uh, those first like four episodes, uh, I, I seriously, I couldn't even keep watching. I was like, this is so, this is like too many emotions. Yeah. I mean, an unbelievable story and and the storytelling is is so good. The guy who wrote that is a guy who has a podcast about screenwriting that I used to listen to like years and years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Craig Mazin. And, uh, and he wrote like a lot of like really silly stuff uh, in his career. Like uh, all over the place, cool or interesting guy. Oh, interesting! But yeah, and then and then he wrote Chernobyl, and I, I was like, wait, what? Like that is so crazy. Yeah, what a story. Do you have a favorite band or artist?
2: You know, I am uh, huge into hip hop, and certainly late '80s, early '90s hip hop. So, can always listen to De La Soul, a Tribe Called Quest.
0: Oh yeah,
2: I just read um, Rockem's. Autobiography from Eric B. and Rakim. So, any of that, but I, I listen to all kinds of stuff, but certainly hip hop is a uh, love of mine.
0: I heard that. Yeah, I heard the Rakim book is awesome. Uh, I've seen a bunch of people post about it. Yeah, it's really good.
2: There is a section of the book where he invented his own writing style in order to develop more complex rhymes and vocabulary. And it, I can't stop thinking about it. He's just, he's, he's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant human being.
0: Well, Daniel, that's it. That's all we got for today. Thanks so much for joining. As always, uh, everybody check out Terminus. If you haven't already, I'm sure you have. Go check it out again. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug?
2: Well, I'm looking forward to chatting to you again, Ian, um, post-pandemic. So thanks again for having me and good luck with the baby.
0: Yeah, let's get through this. And you too. I hope, uh, hope you're getting some sleep. Finally. We finally are, actually. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye.
1: marketing trends podcast is brought to you by salesforce discover marketing built on the world's number one crm salesforce put your customer at the center of every interaction automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey salesforce we bring marketing and engagement together learn more at salesforce.com marketing